Ontology, The Waystation of Red Pill Sanity Written by William Leo Translated by Deep L and a Human Read for you by Eric, Jenny, Mia, and many other bots Previously in the Ontology podcast series The issue of infectious diseases is essentially a political issue all you can do is to eradicate a particular disease only to blaze the trail for another one. The reforms of social norms and lifestyle in order to cope with infectious diseases are inherently political. The risk of infectious disease is just a glimpse of the great unknown world in which we live. To what extent can you accept the exchange of an uncertain risk for the elimination of an existing certain risk? It is impossible to judge. Season 3. Pandemics and Beyond. Episode 2. The Modern Welfare State, Risk and Protection Modern man, thanks to medical advances and the welfare state, has produced a structure that we consider to be very civilized and progressive, but is indeed extremely fragile, where no one can afford to die and the medical system is responsible for ensuring that everyone can live to the age of 70. The mass death of infants, which the ancients took for granted, or the premature death of one's peers, which basically every Englishman in Cromwell's time had seen, a phenomenon with which Shakespeare was very familiar, has become for modern people an exceptional and unexpected event. Society is held responsible, basically, something that should never have happened. This puts too much pressure on the medical system and state institutions. The fragile society has developed its Achilles heel. To ensure that all people can be safe and secure, there is just no redundancy in the input of the healthcare system. So much so that every now and then, at a critical moment like the current one, we suddenly realize that the security we thought was so perfectly protected by science and progress has actually instead rendered us even more vulnerable than our forefathers. This new coronavirus pandemic, for example, is a perfect manifestation of such acquired vulnerability. Although not exactly particularly lethal, the virus dealt a paralyzing blow to the already overly burdened public health system, resulting in the current collapse. This presents a thought-provoking hypothesis that much of what we consider as civilizational progress in modern times has actually increased our vulnerability, rather than reduced it, in evolutionary terms. The security system that is built on antibiotics, public health systems, and massive government investments is in fact dismantling the main line of defense that humans have against plagues, which is genetic diversity. Genetic diversity is best ensured, to speak without being politically correct, through regular extinction of vulnerable populations, and in particular accepting high mortality rates among the elderly and even infants. After the vulnerable group succumbs to death, reducing the concentration of the population to a certain level and the human gene pool evolves, the infectious disease will lose its survival advantage and then disappear, until other diseases take over in the next stage. However, such a solution is considered unacceptable by the modern welfare states. Hence, fundamentally, the populations protected by the modern welfare state are vulnerable. Any successful public pandemic management strategy, with the word public, in its heading, has this flaw. They're without exception strategies that lead to genetic homogeneity whose success will only be extremely short-lived. And you can reasonably anticipate that at some point in the future what made them successful in the first round of the game will turn out to be the cause for downfall in the next round. 
The residents of Taiwan before May 2021 were a much more susceptible population than people in other areas with less successful COVID pandemic control measures, and thus set themselves up for a much larger spread of the disease afterwards. Taiwan's epidemic preparedness strategy is clearly a replica of the SARS preparedness strategy. It has the same sort of transient advantage of a survivor of a certain disease with partial immunity compared to those who have not contracted the disease. Because Taiwan is under immediate threat from China, it is the most familiar with these threats. It has developed a special resistance to the China virus as a survivor. Whereas the distant Europeans and Americans, who were not threatened by China in 2003, do not have a defense against viruses from China. But this is not necessarily a good thing for Taiwan. The pattern of epidemic control developed to defend against the China virus can be interpreted as a highly homogeneous communal gene and may be the cause of future maladaptation. Therefore, the success of epidemic prevention is not necessarily a blessing. In certain countries, typically the United States, for example, the constitutional respect for civil liberties and the very high degree of social pluralism, especially the sanctity of religious freedom, make it practically impossible to pursue an effective public health policy no matter how high the level of technology you have. There is an irreconcilable conflict between an effective public health policy and fundamental individual freedom. You can't really expect to enforce a nationwide strategy for epidemic control. The constitutional restriction and well-established social habits put up just too big a barrier. It's very doubtful that masks or vaccines would really work. I think the best that can be achieved is something similar to the flu vaccine, which will work for a year, two or three years at the most, because you can't keep up with the rate at which the virus mutates, and you have to keep modifying the vaccine as the virus mutates. And there's still a large number of people who don't want to be vaccinated, so the effectiveness of the vaccine will always fluctuate. But this maintains the genetic diversity of humankind. Those who die are mostly the elderly, or people with complications or other serious underlying illnesses, effectively taking the burden off an already overburdened healthcare system. Such natural selection is unacceptable to the politically correct worldview that has been indoctrinated since World War II, so no one dares to broach on it. But in terms of the sustainability of society itself, what has happened is not a disaster, with no obvious damage, and not without certain benefits. It's just that for reasons of political correctness, no one dares to say so. The countries that are able to implement effective public health control measures are usually the ones with more collectivist characteristics, like Germany, for example. In contrast, it is much more difficult for Britain and America to implement effective epidemic control policies. Any public efforts to manage the pandemic that rely on WHO or international coordination are by nature either ineffective or effective in the short term but ineffective or even harmful in the long term. This is certainly the result of a total containment like that practiced in China. As long as China sticks to its current model of epidemic prevention and locks everyone up, there is no way to avoid lockdowns. Today Dalian is closed, tomorrow Shijiazhuang, the day after tomorrow Wuhan, the day after Chongqing, let's all take turns to close down the cities. On the contrary, the enforcement abroad is impossible to be too strong. In the US because of constitutional barriers, in India, Indonesia or the Philippines because public health departments don't have that much power in the first place, mutant varieties will keep coming up. If you keep locking down cities throughout the country, it would create costs that far outweigh the harm caused by the virus itself. Now we are looking at two polarized value systems, 
one is human-centered and upholds the individual liberty as sacred, the other treats human beings as means, not much different from animals. It would be mercy not to slaughter you if you are sick. Each system creates its own corresponding path dependency. Israel is a model of effective epidemic management because it is a militarized socialist state from birth and has been in a state of war for a long time. What is normal for Israelis is a state of war that is largely inexperienced by Americans. Israel is an exception. All Israelis are used to seeing missiles land in their neighborhoods, or seeing people kidnapped or killed by rockets, they are used to being exposed to danger. For people who are used to being exposed to danger, the small risk of vaccination is nothing in comparison. Of course, only adults have the capacity to accurately evaluate risk. For example, a child at home never knows how much risk he is taking, but there is always a responsible adult who does. The Israelis are adults, whereas the Taiwanese are not, nor are the Hong Kong people. So the Israelis have a fairly precise view of what situations are safe and what situations are dangerous. The Taiwanese are unable to tell, and the Hong Kong people even less so. The Hong Kong people are in an extremely precarious situation, but because they are residents of a colony, and by that, I mean that their safety is protected by others, i.e., their colonizers, and for a considerable period of time by the responsible British Empire, therefore they have the illusion that peace and development are granted and can be obtained for free. This illusion left them unprepared. When this illusion was suddenly shattered, they were unable to respond appropriately. Taiwan, too, is in fact a quasi-colony, an unofficial Cold War colony of the US, in fact still under occupation at the end of the Second World War, so that its citizens were used to not taking responsibility for their own destiny. In other words, it is a protectorate with local autonomy over most internal affairs. Foreign affairs and national security matters, traditionally considered to be the core tasks of the state, are not within the scope of the Taiwanese government's responsibilities, who operates as a branch of the US government. Therefore in face of such a crisis as the current only, the Taiwanese government does not have the necessary experience or discretion to respond. It is absurd to determine the capacity of a state by how good or bad the policy of prevention. Flexibility, chances of survival and pluralism are fundamental in terms of the survival of the state and society. It is already not quite sensible to use the success or failure of economic policy as a criterion for the success or failure of the state. Using the success or failure of epidemic management policies as a criterion for national success or failure would lead to a total confusion of right and wrong. It would pressurize politicians in popular democracy to sacrifice too much of what should not be sacrificed in the pursuit of epidemic control achievements. In comparison, it is a more important goal worthy of sacrifice to endure certain death and danger, to familiarize the citizens with death, and to learn how to deal with it like the Englishmen living in Queen Elizabeth and Shakespeare's era who are used to weapons and self-defending. Public opinion should not spur the need to achieve such high standards as total immunity and immortality of individuals, and such a goal of total immunity and no mortality only serves to breed a group of extra-vulnerable and hypersensitive people, which is not a good thing. In this sense, the latest outbreak of COVID cases is not a bad thing for Taiwan, which has served as a wake-up call for its people, who have developed a false complacency that took for granted safety and security achieved at a high cost due to the previous success of prevention. Getting people, not experts, to take risks, even to a lesser extent, and to know how to manage them, is the most important civic education in a democracy.
It is more important than civic education written on paper and taught to the people by secondary school teachers. What is civic education? The people are the rulers, and what is the task of the rulers? A ruler is someone who takes risks for the ruled, just as a parent is someone who takes risks for a child. People protected very safely by bureaucracies and experts cannot be rulers in a democracy. Such a state is very fragile. The people of a truly sustainable democracy are accustomed to mortality, war and danger. They are used to learning the necessity of making the right decisions in the midst of all sorts of dangers, at the cost of wrong decisions and bad decisions. They are comfortable with developing the ability to manage risk in themselves as leaders. Only when the people are accustomed to leading and to managing risks will the country be able to stand for a long time. From this perspective, the experience of failed epidemic control and the lessons learned from it are also invaluable. Not to mention the fact that the epidemic is not yet a failure. Pandemics create opportunities for ordinary people to realize how important it is for them to collaborate with their own neighbors and how important it is to be in control of their own destiny, rather than relying on experts and bureaucrats for protection. This does more good than harm. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast series produced by Luminous Society. Luminous Society provides you with an alternative historical narrative. 